my name is Atli Orvason. I am a composer for film and television. And Kaya and I are going to hang out and chat. And um, actually, I don't know what he's going to talk about, but you know, we'll figure something out. Um, probably we're going to mention the Hitman's Bodyguard. Going to mention some other projects, but let's find out what he wants to know. All right, Atli, thank you so much for for uh, sitting down in your studio here. It's such a great honor to to do a video chat for once. Yeah, my pleasure, man. <laughs> So to start off, I know we've done some interviews in the past, but I'd like to kind of revisit your kind of your origin story, I guess. And, I, you know, talking about your, your childhood growing up in Iceland and kind of when did you start to discover that music was going to become, a, you know, part of your life and that's kind of what you wanted to pursue as a career? Hmm. Um, well, you know, when I look back, it's uh, there's just something, there's this sort of inevitability about music in my life. Uh you know, my dad was a musician, mm -hmm. and my mom is an amateur musician. You know, there's music, there's musicians in my on both sides of the family, really. And uh, all I know is that when I was about five, I went to my uncle's house with my grandfather, and you know, I think my grandfather mentioned something to to my my uncle who was a a church, um, like he he uh, he was a conductor for the church in town and. Mm -hmm. and taught organ and that kind of thing and he says you know I think the kid's got some talent you know and 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 my uncle says well you know maybe I should give him a lesson you know all right that sounds good morning after at 10 o'clock I knock on his door it's like I'm here for my lesson <laughs> and I don't think he you know thought it was that serious but yeah. apparently I was you know uh so you know and I mean I've been involved in music ever since you know I've tried to quit a couple of times <laughs> that failed miserably uh, the first time I, I went as an exchange student after high school in Iceland and um, you know I, w I went to Hungary and Austria and, and and that was one of those attempts to stop being a musician and after about a week or something I just ran to the nearest piano s store and uh -huh. sat down and started playing the piano you yeah know? so I don't know it's just um, it, it's just what I do right so at what point in your life did uh film kind of come into it and when you decided to go okay now film composing is a path that I can take and make a career out of it was it later in life or kind of early on uh you know I think sort of officially that happened while I was at Berkeley so in mm -hmm. my early 20s I went to Berkeley College of Music right. and uh didn't really know what I was there to do to be honest specifically other than you know obviously being in music um you know I was into jazz piano a little bit but I'd been classically trained and I'd also been playing jazz and I'd been playing rock and roll and pit orchestras and symphony orchestras, like everything, you know? Yeah. And so, but you know, I'd had a, a pretty big career for Icelandic standards at the time yeah. with rock and roll bands, but I just, I, it wasn't something about that wasn't quite right. So while I'm at Berkeley, I just sort of started thinking about what, you know, you know what the hell is my purpose <laughs> and uh but it was kind of a total coincidence that i i decided to just give this film scoring sort of introduction to film scoring um a chance it was just a course with right. that description i was like well let's try that let's see what that's like and i i thought sort of just reading the description of the course you know it's it's uh, composition orchestration computers some recording technology it seemed to combine a lot of things i was interested in mm. but the thing that obviously grabbed me was 
you know, writing music to picture. And uh, I remember my first assignment, I think it was about a 45 second main title. Might have been a minute. Right. Took me about three weeks to write it, of course. <laughs> uh, and, but I, I just, like, I instantly knew when I finished it, recorded it, I was just like, something happened, and I was like, this is what I want to do. Right. So when you, you know, you graduated and you started to pursue that uh, part of, you know, that industry, what was kind of the first job you had in the industry? I mean, you mentioned that you worked with Mike Post. Um, um, was that the first thing that came? Was Hans coming in? Well, when did that happen? And how did that kind of kickstart your career there? Well, um, you know, after Berkeley, I decided to go to graduate school for composition okay, right. in, at the University of North Carolina, um, actually film music. Uh-huh. Uh, and at the time, I think it was one of maybe two master's degrees in film music composition in the country, wow. probably in the world. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, I, I you know, I, I, for some reason after Berkeley, I was like, I want to study more. I want to have, because I, I think there's something about having the time to mm. study, which is great, you know, and yeah. being able to just be out, out in North Carolina, you know, sort of out of the, you know, out of, yeah, yeah, out of, well, yeah, just kind of out of the way in a way. And, yeah. and, um, so anyway, I was coming to the end of those studies, didn't really know what to do next. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my professor there, my mentor and dear friend, David McHugh, brings over this flyer from BMI, and it's um, it's to promote the, the Pete Carpenter Fellowship, which BMI uh, conducts. And at the time, it was, it was Mike Post who was in charge of it. Right. And uh, basically it's like, you know, send the demo and, you know, one to three um, young composers will be chosen to come out to work with Mr. Post at his studio. And, uh, you know, long story short, I got in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, and I just came out. There was, like, me and two other people chosen that year. Uh, and, um, you know, I was still just, like, fresh out of school, didn't yeah. know what to do, right. came out, uh, hung out with Mike for a while, and... Uh, he was incredibly gracious and generous, and and uh, and basically, I can pretty much trace every sort of string of of career advancement that I've had back to back to those few weeks with with Mike. Right, and I mean, you got to work on some of his shows, NYPD, NYPD Blue, and Dragnet Law and Order, and kind of is that is would would you say that was kind of almost like a training course for you to understand how the business worked as well and or was it more just kind of learning his process um it was all of the above yeah you know i mean uh first of all it's sort of like you know obviously i had had a master's degree in film music composition but you really don't know much when you come out of school exactly you're in this little, i think it, for me i went to film school so you're in this protective little bubble yeah and they pop it and you're just like what yeah <laughs> you're kind of like you no, know you're in the headlights like what now absolutely right I mean, you don't know how things work in the real life real world <laughs> no you don't and uh and ironically some of the things you're taught are already outdated and yeah. things have changed technology has t- exactly. changed etc but no i would say i mean first of all you know i i got to work on thousands of hours of drama yeah which you know is obviously an incredible training just in learning the picture learning how the music works and all that um but yeah obviously you you sort of take in there's a bit of a osmosis going on you take in what mike is 
doing with his you know the people he's working with and the business and all that right and uh and that you know obviously continued on when i when i um moved to remote control and started working with hans zimmer you know it's like you know you sit next to these people who are sort of you know one is at the top of the tv pyramid and the other one's at the top of the film pyramid right and i mean if you don't learn something there's something wrong <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, so yeah, when did how did you meet Hans and how did you end up? I mean, we're sitting here remote control. Your studio's been here for I mean, you've been here for a while, and and most of your career kind of grew out of this room, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously it's all like the root probably is up in Burbank at Mike's studio, right? And uh, you know, and this is one of the branches. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's like careers are long and they're complicated and they're sort of it's kind of like this. Yeah, I mean, a tree is not a bad metaphor for it. Yeah. you know. But um, actually, um, I met Hans through our mutual agent, Sam Schwartz. Mm, right. And Sam and you know Mike Post are very good friends. And, and in fact, um, a little story is when I got married in 2005, uh, we all went to Iceland on my bachelor party, me, Mike Post, Mike Orfing, Sam Schwartz, and some other people. <laughs> and so we all got to be quite close and, awesome. and it was really awesome yeah and um, and then uh, you know Sam sort of you know after I graduated from Mike's stable um, you know I was, when I was while I was working for him I got the opportunity to do Stuart Little 3 right that was yeah which was great I mean and uh, you know I met somebody through Mike who was producing that film and and um you know, she was looking for a composer, you know, it was directed DVD, Silvestri obviously wasn't going to do it. Right. They yeah. needed a young, cheap composer, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, <laughs> uh, so I, I wrote a demo, you yeah. know, and I sent it to her and they really liked it and somehow I got the gig. And then, you know, I, re I remember having this realization, I, I, had to, I was at um, in Palm Springs for a weekend you know with my wife and some friends and I was like it was right after I got the gig but before I started working on it and yeah. I, I I brought along you know Alan Silvestri's scores for Stuart Little and Stuart Little 2 yeah and I just remember having this terrifying realization <laughs> listening to this music <laughs> that I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> and and but you know I mean it was a really good sort of you just jump in the deep end of the pool and and Sink or swim? Yeah, and <laughs> swim. Swim, yeah. So, uh, but anyways, Mike graciously gave me some, gave me a sabbatical to go and do that. And then, you know, after that was done, he was basically, you know, it's time for you to leave the nest. And and I, I did, and I did some jobs here and there. And, and then Sam had this idea that I should meet Hans. Yeah. And um, I think his words exactly were, you'll fit right in with the rest of the Euro trash down there. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and apparently I did. Yeah. And, you know, I'm still here. Uh, yeah. You know, what has it been now? Ten years? Eleven wow. years? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, John Beggar early project. You mentioned Stuart a little, but another one of your early films that I uh, really loved was The Last Confederate. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought that was uh, that kind of brought my attention, I think, to your work. And 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 how was that interesting? It's most an interesting scoring an American Civil War drama. Yeah, you know, for an Icelandic composer early in their career. I mean, do you remember that film and kind of the approach yeah. you took on that one? Yeah, I mean, 
I actually, it's interesting because the, the guy who produced the film wrote it and it's sort of based on his great, great, great grandfather's yeah, story. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he made an interesting point. He was like, you know, he said, I'm actually glad that you're not from this country because then you don't have a bias. Right. You know, you're not pro Confederate or pro, you know, Northerners or whatever. You know, it's like, yeah. there's just a, for me, it was kind of a clean slate. And, right. And I mean, I thought, you know, for me, I, I just kind of went to, I tried to go back to the roots of the people who came over, you know, on the Mayflower or whatever. And, right. and it, I mean, it's sort of like, I tried to look at it from a historical perspective. And most of these people, you know, were, at least the people this movie is about, were originally from Scotland or Ireland or the UK. And uh, I figured, you know, some sort of Celticness would probably be yeah. appropriate, you know. And uh, and then, I mean, I, I think just through osmosis, you know, as a composer, as a as a lover of music, you know, I mean, sort of that Americana sound that mm -hmm. maybe, you know, Leonard Bernstein and and you know those kinds of composers are right. famous for. Um, you know, it just sort of seeps into what you do. Aaron Copeland, obviously, yeah, of you course. know, even Dvorak, you know, yeah. I, I mean, his New World Symphony, I think, is is some of the best American music ever made. You know, <laughs> and uh, so all the while you're kind of doing these films and kind of getting your feet wet and kind of creating, I guess, uh, your sound. I always ask composers, kind of, do you remember a point where you had to kind of look at yourself and kind of look at yourself in the mirror and go, what is my sound going to be? Who does that ever come up? Like, Oh, I want, I want to sound like this. This is my sound as a composer. I don't want to sound like that person. I don't want my voice to be original or in kind of an auteur style. Does that ever like cross your mind in terms of building the scores that you work on? Is it, it, it or does that develop naturally just from the projects you work on? Like without even thinking about it subconsciously? Well, I think it's probably different for everybody, but mm -hmm. I mean, I, no, it's something that I've thought about a lot and I'm sure most composers do, you know, right. uh, I mean, I happen to be a bit of a chameleon musically mm -hmm. because yeah. it's like I've I've touched on so many different styles of music and been in bands and and you know been sort of on on the legit side you know and and also a rock and roller and yeah. and and I think that um I I love writing all kinds of different you know styles of music you know and uh so maybe that makes it a bit tricky to find whatever your style or your identity is yeah but i think at the end of the day your identity is somehow um i mean if you think about it you know if you write something you know um, empty canvas yeah and you have to basically sort of bear your soul and come yeah. up come out come up with you, something yeah. that is you and i think and i think that's at the end of the day i mean it's a vague answer but i think right. it's really it's trying to just be honest and kind of come up with something from your core within the framework and the context of the project and whatever music would fit in there. You know, I mean, right. Hitman's Bodyguard is kind of blues and rock and roll, and that goes back to sort of, you know, my late teens and early 20s when I was playing in rock and roll bands. But I can draw on that, you know, experience, and it's yeah. it's still there. I can still play the Hammond B3 like I did back then. But then, you know, now I'm working on an animation film, which is full or fully orchestral and, and completely different but also draws on my experience so I, I feel like you know it, it's like completely different styles of music different ensembles different instruments everything 
but all I'm trying to do is is you know open open myself up and be honest and try to come up with something from the heart you know? right and I, I'm gonna probably jump in chronological order here but I want to talk and jump to Rams for a bit because just talking about you as a composer that score resonated with me so deeply for mm. and I, for some reason I just felt like that was it felt so personal and so intimate and I think mm-hmm. it's my, probably my favorite score of yours and I just wanted <laughs> okay. to talk about because I know it's it, there's a story it's an Icelandic film and yeah and um what was it like working on that and kind of telling a story from from your country and and putting your kind of stamp on it uh it was amazing you know obviously yeah. I mean it was actually um sort of a you know it was in What's the word that I'm looking for? You know, it was very intentional for me to go back home and, yeah. t- and try to sort of uh, kind of connect with my roots or something. Because didn't, it, didn't you tell me it take pl- takes place in the village that uh, you either grew up or your father? I forget something you mentioned something about the location. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. well, here's the story. So, <laughs> so you know, I have a great friend and um, agent in Paris, Jean-Pierre Key. And we started working together right around that time. And, and you know, because I told him I was like, I'm interested in doing more sort of artistic right. movies and, 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 and or maybe just movies that will allow me to be a bit more honest musically and, and kind of explore something that's, a, you know, it's not production music, but yeah, it's yeah. actually music. Right. You know? Anyway, um, he's like, well, you know, you know, it might be difficult to for me to get you work because your label is Hollywood you know right and I'm like all right well let's give it a chance so he's like (laughs) well why don't you come to this you know film festival in the French Alps and it was just before Christmas um I I can't remember which year it was but anyway I'm like all right let's do that so I fly LA London Geneva and then I had to take a bus for two and a half hours to get to this <laughs> mountain, like ski town in the French Alps, you know. Oh, wow. And I was just like, what am I doing, you know. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it quickly revealed itself what I was doing there because I, I, uh, I ran into this guy. And, and the funny thing is, like, I ran into so many people from Iceland at that festival. Yeah. And the first person I meet is a guy called Grimar Jonsson, who produced Rams. And... And we just, you know, we're just sitting at the bar having a drink and a chat. And he tells me about this film. He's like, you know, it's about these two brothers who live in a remote valley in Iceland. And, you know, and I said, well, you know, don't you need a place to shoot it? And he's like, no, no, we, uh, we've scouted. We know exactly where we're going to shoot it. And he tells me the name of the farm. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, all right. That's where my mother was born. Right. You know, my, right. my grandfather was the farmer there. My mom was born in the farmhouse where they shot half the film. Wow. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> really to your roots. Yeah, yeah I'd say. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I, I said to Grima, basically, well, I have to do the film. He's like, yeah, you know, I, um, I'll i talk to the director. And just as Jean-Pierre had predicted, yeah. it was a tough sell. Because, <laughs> I mean, he, you know, the director went online and found stuff that I'd done here and right. was like... That couldn't be more wrong for my film. Right. So I don't think that's going to work. And But I wrote this long, long email to him. And I said, I just, you know, laid it all out. It's like, yeah. you know, I'm from there. My mom was born there. You know, my ancestors have lived in that valley, you know, or my family has lived there for, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, somehow I was able to convince him. He's like, all right, let's do it. You know, and um, 
And we talked a long, you know, we talked a bunch about, you know, musical instruments, style, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my thing was, I mean, because I, you know, my, my family, as I said, grew up there and it's like, I know that they gathered around the piano or the, mostly the organ mm -hmm. and played and earlier, you know, a few generations back, they wouldn't have the organ and there's somebody in my family played the violin and there's a couple of people who played the accordion. Right. Including my father, right. who's actually not from that valley, but still, uh, what happens is from the time I'm hired and until I make the music, my father passes away. Oh, wow. So. To make it even more, you know, to my roots, I took his accordion, went to the church in the valley, because yeah. it's kind of like the only place where you can record music, right. with a friend of mine and some microphones. And so two days before they started shooting the film, I just went there, just on, a, on you know, sort of a fishing trip to see <laughs> if any music would come out of it. And I just hung out there for a day and came up with this theme on the accordion and and that became the theme of the film. Wow! So I was born. It was born in the space that the film takes place in. That from your roots. That's very much so. And yeah. what was cool about it too is that, you know, the director would play this piece of music for the actors in the morning before they went out to to you know act out Sorry, the film. Yeah. And so I, I feel like I mean, of all the work that I've done, it's clearly the sort of the, I mean, the music is the probably the closest knit into the fabric of the film yeah. of, of any project I've ever done. This, talking about, um, you know, how images are born, for me, an, an image is born from listening to film music, mm -hmm. and then for you as a, as a composer, you're looking at the image and that's where the sound is coming from, the music is coming from, but I guess to ask you, I always like to ask composers, where does the first note come from for me? Like when you, where do you look for the first little thing of inspiration is it just at the script i mean for rams was very obvious yeah um but for okay more on a general point do you look at the script do you look at the first cut of the film do you just sit with the director and talk and this where maybe that first idea the first little melody like where does it kind of come from well it, it can be any of any of the above you know yeah. um I, what i've learned from hans more than anybody is, is the idea that you know come up with an I a big idea, a right. concept, you know? And it seems to me, you know, I'm no um, brain specialist, but it seems to me that if you give your creative brain a bit of information to go with, it, it mm -hmm. helps, you know? So, I mean, go back to Rams, you know? Yeah, we, yeah. we know, okay, it could be one of these four instruments, you know, and... Um, so there's at least there's already sort of a, a like an intellectual framework or some something like a structure right of of things for the creative process to kind of be built upon mm -hmm. so i think that's really important i think it's really important to think about you know history geography character you know what kind of instruments could have been there etc you know right, yeah. just just by doing that just by thinking about it you know you you there's a framework there's like um there's a you know there's a a cradle for something to be yeah you know born out of and uh and that's i mean you know and then you just hope to get lucky you know yeah. <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> then the rest that's the part where you can't explain i guess right? no yeah. and i mean sometimes it takes forever and sometimes it's like the first thing you think about you know yeah. i mean 
um, doing this animation film, uh, this Icelandic Belgian co-production called Ploey. And I mean, I wrote the theme for that in like five minutes mm -hmm. and I just, I like the way I experienced it, I didn't write it. It just like, it was just ready. It yeah. just came out, you know? And I mean, those, it's hard to explain those moments. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then like right now I'm doing another project, which is um, a Law and Order miniseries about the Menendez murders. Right. And uh, that was really difficult for me to kind of figure out and like, you know, just, again it, i really went into thinking about it and trying to sort of and i was listening to like you know that takes place in la so i started listening to some old noir music and, yeah, and like yeah. which obviously doesn't work verbatim but you know right, you somehow right. have to like get the creative juices yeah, flowing you know atmosphere yeah. yeah yeah for sure and and so i don't know i mean i think it's like it's something you actually learn and get better at it's mm -hmm. sort of that sort of you know, fishing is a good word for it because you're just like throwing out all these hooks and like hoping, hoping that something <laughs> sticks somewhere, you know? <laughs> for sure. Um, and now rewinding a little bit back kind of uh, to those Hollywood movies that almost didn't get you Rams. Um, you know, some of your uh, early films that, uh, that I really liked, you know, kind of these studio action movies like Vantage Point, Babylon AD. Mm -hmm. um, when you are writing action music, is there, is the, did you kind of crack the code of like what is a good action score like you know there's so many compose i mean action is such a big genre it's a big money-making genre in hollywood i mean superhero movies everything but in your opinion what makes a great action score when you're working on these films like you have to compete with sound effects too you're looking for melodies i mean is there anything that you found any truths that you discovered well i mean i, I think that's kind of a a consideration like sound mm. effects and obviously right. you know if you have a lot of sound effects you might want to try to stick with some long sustains rather than you know a bunch of drums yeah. you know those kinds of things but right. really I mean that's I don't really think that's the main sort of um, consideration mm -hmm. you know um, no I can't say that I <laughs> have cracked it I, I all I know is that it's incredibly work intensive and time consuming and uh, if there's anything I've learned it's just about how to get it done for myself right is to when I was starting out I was just I would sit down and I was like I'm gonna finish this four minute cue mm -hmm. before I get back up you know which is the worst possible thing you can do because <laughs> the the thing really to do is just to write something sketch something out then go to something else go home go eat go write another cue, anything, and then come back to it. And you'll discover things right away that you wouldn't if you just sit there and, and you know, hit your head against the wall. Right. So, I mean, but no, I mean, you know, I, I think all the principles we've talked about before kind of apply, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. vantage point, Spain, you know, terrorists from the Middle East, you know, American president. Right. It's like the, there's already kind of a picture forming of, Right. And then, you know, the the job there really was to be inventive in the electronic realm, you know, and combine something very, very modern mm -hmm. with, you know, the rest of it. And, yeah. and you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time working with synths and stuff in the 80s and 90s. But um, nevertheless, it was a really difficult thing for me to go back to that and, and kind of, or it was sort of like, yeah, it, it, it was 
sort of putting on an old shoe, but it, it was way too small or something. Yeah, I had yeah, to like, you to know, like stretch it out, <laughs> you know? And, and that, but at the end of the day, it's also something really, uh, it's just really kind of rewarding once you expand your comfort zone a bit, yeah. you know? And that's, that's really what it's about, I think, you know, just get out of that zone that's easy and safe and try something new. Right. And I, for, for action, though, I think, um, and just talking with other composers, it's, you know, action films, you mentioned there's so many moving pieces because, I mean, it's not just, yeah, there's some long take kind of directors, but there's a lot of cuts, there's a lot of, and the edits are constantly changing and that kind yeah. of, you know, it'll shorten this scene and then maybe lengthen this scene and yeah, that yeah, scene. Yeah. And with all those different pieces moving, um, how do you adapt as a composer? Because I know... Like I just recently talked with Steve, who did Transformers, and mm -hmm. every time they shrink a scene, and, and you know, if you change something here, that can affect something over here. I mean, how do you keep your scores? I guess from, I guess from not from collapsing. If they, if there's any changes in the edits, or there any experiences that you've had? I know Season of the Witch was one that went through a big change, and you had to come back and rescore twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, let's use that as an example of of yeah of making a score work as a whole, and I guess when a picture changes. Well, that I mean, that one was literally almost sort of re-defining um, the film and reinventing the score right. a couple of times. But I think what you're talking about is more sort of like structural, yeah, yeah. And, and just keeping up with with frame, you know, chops here Shades and there. Here, yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know what? Interestingly, I find that very often I'll be kind of struggling to make the music work with a cut, mm. and then they go like, you know what? It's not right. We've recut it. And then it becomes really easy. Oh, okay. So, you know, I think very often when it's really hard to get the music to work, there's just something inherently wrong with the way the picture's cut. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, every now and then, like, for example, the main title for Hitman's Bodyguard, mm -hmm. you know, like a couple of days before scoring, I learned, okay, we've added, you know, I don't know, 20 seconds of titles in front of your main title. And we cut a bunch of stuff, and I'm just right. like, oh no, it's like, you know, <laughs> it works perfectly as it is. Yeah. And then you just go in and you just keep, it's like, I think it's like sculpting or something, you know, yeah. you just keep like molding, it into, molding it into shape until it somehow works. And very often, you know, tempo is obviously key, you know, and yeah. it's like, but very often, I, I don't know, I, I think composition the mind of the composer so much of it is about letting go of your kind of you know I don't know falling in love with your own material right and just being able to go like all right whatever let's just change it you I know say that with and editors as well like picture, yeah you know you can't get fall in love with a scene because, no you know, if it's not serving the story it has yeah. to go you've got to learn how to Learn to kill your darlings, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and if you just, like, let go of that, then most of the time, you know, there's always a solution. And uh, you, and it's one of the things you just get better at, I think. Yeah. You know, for sure. practice. Yeah. Well, let's jump back to the Season of the Witch then, which was a different <laughs> situation. Um, it literally you know, was the Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch, <laughs> because they, they shot a movie, they decided to change it to maybe something big, more action, right? That was like the, that was the idea behind it. It was, was it horror kind of first, and then they wanted more epicness, or...? It, it's, it's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning, no, no. In the beginning, you know, I think the director had a vision of wanting to do kind of an art 
artistic looking film right but obviously it's about a witch and a demon and all that so it's it sort of like you know it wasn't quite working somehow it, it just like it wasn't quite the tonally it wasn't quite right and i think that's sort of the i don't know somehow how it transitioned from like this sort of moody brooding medieval yeah you know beginning into a full-blown kind of horror action adventure yeah just somehow it didn't make the transition properly right so then uh you know it score it didn't wasn't working so they were like all right let's make it an act make it a horror film and i mean i'd already scored and recorded a lot of the music at that point it's like all right well, let's do that <laughs> so now it's like trying to come up with scares and make it scary yeah through the music um that didn't work <laughs> so the decision was to make was made to sort of really go into an action adventure kind of a a vibe mm -hmm. so the whole beginning was rewritten and reshot and you know i think out of the three season of the witch movies that i scored <laughs> the last one is by far the best right know? and i mean it, it made sense you know I mean, do you see that? I mean, were you? Did you know it was bad? Did you know, did you know the third one was coming when you f submitted the horror version? You're like, uh, or was it like a like, oh god, again? Like, well, I mean, no, I didn't know. But I mean, when I heard that they were going to do it again, I can't say I was surprised. Right. And I was actually kind of like, good. Glad. You know, yeah. Let's let's because uh, it right. I because it's you know, it is really difficult to reinvent movies after they're shot. You know, and it's sort of like it's got to be done with care and, and vision. Well, I and think there's, like, when people read about that stuff, people go, like, well, that's going to be a shit movie now if they have to recut and reshoot, like, with a... I remember there was a big thing with World War Z. Like, they had to reshoot the last 40 minutes or something, like, then they changed the ending. They're like, well, it's going to be bad now. And then it came out, and everyone's like, well, that's not good. But I feel like that's the process of filmmaking, is you s see what doesn't work, get it out, and it's a, it's. I don't think anyone hits it on the first shot. I mean... It's rare, yeah. you know, and I mean, I think when you think about the process of making a movie, you know, it's yeah. like somebody gets an idea and you have to write the script and get the cast and get the money and get it all it's to, an, and then you're on this. miracle if it's ever, like, to have a finished it, film. It's that is the word that I use. To <laughs> to just finish a movie is a miracle, Yeah. and let alone make a good movie, yeah. you know, um, which is, you know, it's just, you know, all the more impressive when directors make really great movies, you know? Right. And I mean, being a part of that kind of a, a, you know, project where like it works out, you know, everybody, you know, comes together to make the best they can out of the material. It's really cool. Right. And you were working with, uh, it was Dominic uh, Senna on, yeah. on Seeing the Wish. Yeah, yeah. Because you were supposed to do White Out, I believe, right? Yes. And you got replaced on that one, but he came back for you yeah. for Season of the Wish. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that must be cool to have a, a director to fight for you, kind of like that. Yeah. I'll be honest, I think that was more of a coincidence than Dominic oh, really? actually okay. coming after, for me to come back, okay. you know? Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, so many things happen along the way, and it's like... Yeah. A lot of it is, most of it is out of the composer's control, you know? I mean, it's I know. Like, That's a lot know. of things. People give a lot of crap to composers that I think they don't realize that it's not up to you, you know, how the scene is or yeah. the film is, and you, you're you're at the service of the producers and the directors. Um, yeah. 
I mean, that's also, you know, the difference between working in the Hollywood studio system right. and working in independent film, whether it's in Europe or, or here. It's like there's a totally different kind of a, you know, power structure, I guess, you mm -hmm. know, and there's just fewer people taking, making the decisions. And, uh, you know, so it's like, I mean, you know, filmmaking is about as collaborative as any human endeavor can be, you know, right. it's like, you have to work together, yeah. but there has to be a leader, and hopefully a leader with a vision that can carry it through, you know? Right. And, but it's like, you know, it's really, it's about working with other people, isn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you're right. I mean, I, I sometimes read, you know, like reviews or comments about somebody's score for this or that, and they're like, you know, missed opportunity or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, you weren't there with the, with the filmmaker's you know right. writing the music and coming up with what's on screen and it's like you know it's uh yeah it's yeah. A collaboration <laughs> for sure <laughs> you know um and speaking of collaboration when you work with directors um you know i i come from that kind of side of it what's a what are characteristics you love to see in a director i mean stuff that you talked about having a strong vision do you prefer a director who is kind of gives you a straight kind of guideline to work or do you prefer a director that gets like you know, you I know you and I know your style. Have at it and let me let me see what you come up with. Do you pre prefer more structure, or do you prefer to have kind of like a blank slate to just go crazy with? Um, I think the ideal situation is to have a clean slate musically yeah. to an extent at least, but have a pretty clear vision about what right the function of the music in the film is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And what it's meant to achieve. You know, and do you have directors that don't communicate that? Have you ever worked? I mean, not just not to say anybody, but have you experienced a bad director that you felt like, well, come on, give me some more guidance here? Uh, I don't feel like I've done that. And I mean, mm -hmm. to be honest, I, I mean, the job is to solve the problem with putting music to this picture. Right. You know? That is my job. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if the director may be out of, you know, um, inexperience or for other reasons doesn't really know what they want then fine you know that's it's my that's my job yeah, it's, my, it's the gig you know yeah figure it out you know and i i think that like you know <clears throat> um a director composer relationship is really at the end of the day just the two people who have to get along yeah <laughs> to to figure this out you know and sometimes you know it's like um and I mean, yeah, it's just like with any other situation where two people have to kind of find a way to work together, it's always going to be different based on who these two personalities are. Right, for sure. And, uh, you know, I might be able to have a really good relationship with one director where one of my colleagues, colleagues, you know, wouldn't because it's a personality yeah, thing, you know, a, it really is. It's a relationship, it's a marriage, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And speaking of directors, you got to work with a pretty well-known auteur director which is James L. Brooks with Edge of mm -hmm. 17 mm -hmm. and how was I mean he, and he's a writer director and I think uh, did you find any difference working with someone who is more really you know there from the script's birth and directing and it's very character based and, uh, and kind of a character study was that how was that working with James who's well known for his films about you know people well first of all I mean the, the movie is really written and directed by Kelly Freeman Craig, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. He produced it. He right? produced oh, it, yeah. you know. <laughs> Having said that, he he was, you know, very involved, and and Kelly is smart enough to know, you know, 
it's really a good idea to have Jim on board and learn right. from a master right, right. like him because he truly is a master. He's yeah. just like, he's an incredible mind, incredible filmmaker, an incredible human being. So, I mean, I don't know. I, as I said, you know, she she did a magnificent job writing, coming up with that story and, and right. directing, but she also did a brilliant job by accepting and being open to having somebody like him next to her. Right, know? for sure. So that was that was a great experience. I mean, I came in on very late on that. Yeah. And, um, you know, Hans was involved as well as a sort of producer of the music. And, and, you know, I mean, we would be sitting here in this room at 3 in the morning jamming some craziness <laughs> on the guitar. And it's like, it was it was a lot like the old days, just being in a band, you know. Yeah. And... Um, that was, it was great. That oh, was such yeah, a fun, like an awesome experience. It really was. It was. It was one of the better ones. Um, so we we talked about at the beginning. You know, you started your career working with Mike Post, and then now you kind of developed your own kind of filmography of, um, I guess, what he's known for is kind of the the dramatic procedurals and and stuff like that. And you've had some, you know, you did Law and Order LA, and you're doing the Law and Order uh, miniseries. But I mean. And you got really involved in Chicago, Chicago Med, Chicago Justice, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. I mean, you might, you're a native Chicago. <laughs> well, I, I guess they had they figured they needed somebody who, who was used to being cold. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were working with that many titled shows with Chicago in the title, um, you know the city is obviously an important place in all those series. Um, what's the different? What separates them all apart for you? To where you found a musical voice for each one or did you kind of look at them and kind of maybe create a similar sounding universe between them or was it well it's sort of organically just grown the 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 chicago universe i mean it just started with fire right and uh i mean you know it's a movie about firefighters obviously Mm -hmm. uh and you know i was inspired by something that dick wolf said about you know people like that you know first respondents you know like people who just completely sacrifice themselves to help other people you know i mean it's something extraordinary about that you know and then i mean when i went back into sort of thinking about musically like i mean it's obviously it's the heartland of america it's americana yeah and you know and and there's a strong sort of Irish tradition in mm. in fire departments on the East Coast and the Midwest, at least. And yeah. uh, so in my first suite, there was quite a bit of sort of an Irishness to it, which, you know, has arguably watered down, has been watered down a bit. <laughs> but I think there might still be a, a nucleus of that in there somewhere. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not Irish, but, you know, something that's sort of like... Um, slightly sort of celtic slash americana kind of a a sound you know but then i mean so okay then pd comes along and now that's totally different you know and it's a different world it's much much harder Mm -hmm. tougher world for detectives that are you know i mean chicago is a rough town you know right and um so but it still seemed like it should be of the same family yeah just harder edge yeah yeah you know then med came along and now we're getting into sort of a much more sort of a cerebral kind of a world you know Mm -hmm. i mean you know people are trying to save people's lives on the on the uh the operating rooms and all these things i mean that's like a you know 
that was kind of the the mo for that was like let's try to get into these people's brains and, right. and be procedural with them in that sense but then there's also kind of a there's a lot of drama and and you know i mean i've had a child who was very sick and you just realize that like you know hospitals are you know just rife with people in you know, in sort of moments in their lives mm -hmm. that are maybe the, the most difficult moments of their lives, you yeah, know? For sure. So there's so much drama yeah. going on in any given hospital at any given time yeah. that, that that, you know, kind of was a sort of a deep vein for me to go into. And, and some of the music that I enjoy the most that I've written for, uh, for the Chicago series come out of that space, you know? Yeah. Because I feel like it's just like, that's where people's lives are on the line, you know. Yeah, there's I mean, a lot of humanity there. Yeah. And families and families are, you know, are affected, and it's a big, big deal for people, you know. Right. And um, yeah, so that's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Chicago it just tour. grew. We, you yeah. know, and then Justice came along for a few months uh, right. last season and was canceled, uh, unfortunately, because mm -hmm. I, I thought it was a good show and it was doing quite well, so it was surprising. But, um, but that was, you know. I mean, this is the we're talking about the production company that created Law and Order. Yes, yeah. I mean, they know how to do a procedural oh, show about law. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I, I like that. Just felt like it. Just from episode one, it was like knew what it wanted to be. And, yeah, that's, you know. So yeah, there was a really strong vision, which is yeah, easy, makes it easier for you. I can say. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I mean, I didn't want to go back to Law and Order, but right. but still, it's all like, I mean, there is something. There's like a DNA yeah, in, in all of it. Right, that, for sure. It connects together. And we're talking about the kind of the balance of uh, you doing studio pictures <clears throat> and kind of smaller independent pictures. And you did a few that I really, really loved, which was a single shot, a Colette, um, these kind of really smaller films that, and the single shot I really um, gravitated towards because it was like, that was a short film pretty much I made similar. Really? <laughs> in college, the same plot and everything. Right. I love characters like out of the element of like societal structure and just kind of you know with moral really deep moral choices and mm -hmm. ethics and stuff you know um is that fun for you as a composer to kind of break down the psychology of a character and try to flesh it out musically i mean yeah. you guys are psychologists i think in a, yeah. in a way yeah i think we are yeah you know <clears throat> on different levels because right. obviously we're psychological manipulators with the music right. Then there's the psychology of working with the directors and the filmmakers. Yeah, you have to be a therapist for that. <laughs> yeah, and, and but you also have to be your character's therapist in a way. Yeah. You know, or, or try to get into their heads. I mean, that movie is really about a guy who just you know, you know, makes a morally, you know, flawed decision. Yeah. And everything just falls apart. Right. You know. Yeah. And I mean, I I feel like that's really what that story is about. You know. So. <clears throat> And I mean, I think that it was like sort of the deconstruction of his fragile, you know, existence, mm -hmm. and it just all goes bad. You yeah. Know? And I mean, that was kind of the the uh, arc of the music as well, you know. Uh, but that film, I mean, the director of that film, David Rosenthal, is a has become a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. We've collaborated now on on two, three. Two and a half films because we're halfway through one and right. he's already shooting the next one. Oh wow! How it ends, <laughs> which I think is going to be a really fun project. That's it's awesome. sort of a post-apocalyptic thriller, but you know, David is—I've been really lucky with directors that I work with because right, yeah. a lot of them are really—they just love music. Yeah. You know, and 
David keeps educating me about music, you know? Right. Like, he'll send me podcasts and playlists and stuff. I'm like, wow, this is really cool stuff. Where do you find <laughs> this, you know? He just loves, you know, kind of modern, sort of neoclassical, off-the-beaten-path yeah. stuff. And, and for a single shot, it was kind of a... a you know, <clears throat> like an education in in sort of aleatoric, atonal yeah, music. For sure. You know, and it, I mean, for me, it's like you know, being a film composer is like an endless exploration of music. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's like in that particular instance, I got to just go deep into Penderecki and this guy Skelchi. It was like an Italian composer. That I, nobody's heard about it except for David Rosenthal. <laughs> <laughs> and we started listening to that stuff, and it's so out there, and it's from the early 1900s. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, um, so anyway, I mean, again, like a new exploration, you know. I yeah. mean, it's like, it's not the accordion in a church in a valley in Iceland, but yeah. it's something else. But, but you have to go in and learn how to do it, you know. Yeah. And, and that's the thrill of it. And, I mean... You know, I feel like I learned some tricks and I made up my own tricks yeah. along the way. I've probably forgotten all of them now, right. but it doesn't really matter. It was just like being in that situation at the time and trying to tell the story through David's eyes, through the music that we felt was representing, you know, the psychology of this poor man who was <laughs> <laughs> who was about to get killed. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about so many different genres that you've done. Um, is there any genre that you find more challenging than the other to crack? Like maybe a comedy versus a horror versus action. Is there one that throws you more of a challenge as a, as a storyteller? <clears throat> I think I find action the hardest. Yeah. You know. Uh huh. I I think it's like. Um, I don't know if it's like ADD or something, but I I find it hard to have the patience to yeah. do it. And it, but it's at the same time when you sit down and really do it it's amazingly fun once you get it right you right. know uh, for me I mean like writing a tune usually comes pretty easy to me mm -hmm. you know and uh, I mean comedy is really difficult yeah but I think I have a knack for it I think I have a you know some it's not I don't know. I'm afraid to say something that's going to come back to haunt me later. But <laughs> but you know, it's so, yeah, like we can cut it out of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You promised to cut it out. It was really bad. Uh, no, but I think it's not. I, I think yeah, it's like it's something that is not quite as difficult for me as a lot of composers. It's, right. You know, because funny music is. I mean, it's like. Well, comedy is so hard because of, I think just grabbing the tone, and I know a lot of composers. You know, I talk with Chris Leonard, who does a lot of comedies. Yeah. And. And then you look at the older stuff that I love, you know, like airplane and like satire comedies, or going back to Charlie Chaplin, and yeah. and the comedy is always on the screen. It's always there. The character, the actors are the ones who are being funny, but it's very hard to know what the music's role is supposed yeah. to be. And a lot of those movies are scored extremely serious. Yeah, you know, exactly. this is like that's why the, the satire ones are the I think the easiest ones because it's like oh, just look at this is a comedy, make it serious, you yeah. know, like Naked yeah. Gun or even yeah. Tropic Thunder, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think when I was starting out, I, I always felt like comedy probably has to be in a major key. Uh -huh. But it's actually way more successful in a minor key uh -huh. because then there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a wink. There's a bit of sort of uh, cheekiness to it, yeah. you know. And, I mean, you know, one 
observation that I've made is that you know making let's say like horror music even there seems to be a lot more to experiment with and discover in the dark realm yeah <laughs> than in right. in upbeat you know I mean you have the pizzicato strings and the <laughs> autotune piano and the, the accordion you know and it's like I mean there aren't that many sort of new ways of making comedy and right and, and well, I you did the fourth kind. That was a horror film that I thought was different. I, yeah. Yeah. You didn't go with the, the stereotypical thing. I remember a lot of kind of insect sounds. I'm trying to remember. It's been yeah. a lot since I listened, but it was yeah. very different to me. No, I I really you know went out. Again, I was just trying to yeah. get out of my. It's a combination of just like you know, self preservation and try to do <laughs> something to figure it out, right. and also try to like actively, you know sort of push your own boundaries and yeah try to come up with something new right for sure um let's see so i did want to talk about a little bit about another film i like was hansel and gretel witch hunters you had to revisit mm. the witch world <laughs> and there yeah. was there was a period in hollywood where they were making kind of these dark versions of the fairy tales and it, you know there was i think a red riding hood one and um i mean that must have been a fun thing to f take a well-known story and flip it on its head a little bit and then yeah, and I, I, was at, I think I was at the premiere with you at the at the Chinese. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, another director who really loves music, Tommy Rokola. Yeah, from Norway, and you know, we're both Scandinavians, and you know, in, in Europe, it's interesting with with um, Europeans, our sort of fairy tales, and you know, lullabies, bedtime stories. Yeah. Are really dark and scary you know well, i have a polish mother yeah and it's, I mean, it's just like, like terrifying stuff you know i mean and i i i you know it's it, only america where it's like fairies and bright and disney yeah you know i mean you know i have a five-year-old daughter and she still crawls into bed almost every night it's probably because we're telling her horrible stories every night no but uh but seriously speaking i mean it's like it is an interesting you know observation i think that it's just like we're just darker over there you yeah know? and and i think it comes through in like the way tommy is sort of like his you know dead snow the movie did before this yeah. is, is hilarious it, it's so i mean it's so over the top dark and gory and, and <laughs> yeah. that it's just like it's it's hilarious but but he has that sort of you know um i mean his sense of humor is is very sort of is naughty you know it's like yeah. it's and so when he wrote the script i mean i think that the premise is great you know yeah. it's like uh, and but coming up with the music was very interesting because i mean first meeting i had with him he's like i want the music to sound like metallica <laughs> I'm like okay <laughs> uh and then you know i talked to someone from the studio and they were like no 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 it's like it should definitely or the producers or somebody else yeah because it, it was like there was a lot of chefs in the kitchen on that yeah, one for sure and they were like no it needs to be more like classical and, and almost baroque you know and like and then the studio probably was like no dubstep man that's that's where it's at <laughs> but <laughs> but i think i love how that's the studio <laughs> but you know i think actually this was a really good thing uh -huh. you know because i i feel like if you listen to the main title the witch hunters theme it's got all these elements in there, you know. <laughs> There's like sort of big guitar walls, Metallica style. There's some 
you know, glitchy dubstep drum programming. Yeah. There's kind of like this sort of gothic sounding you right. know, Baroque-ish <laughs> choir. And I mean, I never would have thought of putting that piece of music together if I hadn't been forced to do it. Yeah, wow, okay. You know what I mean? That's it, yeah, So I, sure. th I think that's the silver lining is that it's like, that, yeah, you, you know. You're under the direction, but you're pushed into a place where you never would have thought to go. Yeah, and one would never go in the, in the right mind, <laughs> you know. A Baroque metallic <laughs> dubstep yeah. piece. Yeah, no, I mean, who would, like, that's crazy. But, but. Because it's crazy, I think it's actually turned out pretty cool. Yeah, it was a fun score. I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> and the movie was great, too. It yeah, was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was fun. Um, so we were talking about the, kind of the difficulty of uh, action genre, and then you talk about comedy, and then we have an action comedy right now, your recent score, Hitman's Bodyguard. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about, you know, you were talking about bringing in blues and different kind of genres from your past, and... What was the goal? What was the approach for this one? Because you want to make it fun. You want to make it, and I feel like action comedy, you have to get the tone right musically. So, yeah. Kind of what were those discussions about the music here, and what did you want the score to do? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, again, sitting in this room with Patrick Hughes yeah. and talking about it, and just like, it was actually uh, after the Super Bowl. It was like the night after the last Super Bowl. Uh -huh. You know, he com came over with a bottle of wine. And his playlist on his iPhone, and we sat and drank wine and listened to blues mostly, but like whatever music he had been listening to while shooting the film. Right. And, you know, another director who just loves music. And, you know, he uh, had basically picked out most of the songs that were going to be in the film. And, I mean, it's in his head already when he's working out the scene and, and rewriting the script and all that stuff. It's all like, it's all in his master plan. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I think his thing was I, I don't want a generic you know sounding score right. I don't want the, the typical action music score you know and uh, so I felt that my job was to try to honor all this great blues and rock and roll stuff that he had been listening yeah, to yeah. and try to somehow you know, do a rock and roll score. Yeah, that was the that was the job, in my opinion. You know, and uh, and yeah, I, I mean, it was just so much fun because, you know, he really fought very hard for that direction. You know, and yeah. I mean, the studio kind of wanted to reel us in a little bit, uh -huh. and he just wouldn't give up. You know, and uh, and the other thing about you know what I think is great about Patrick and and his approach to the the film is that he, you know, he, like, there's some, you know, sort of tender moments, and in those moments, he wanted really sort of genuine, down to earth music. He didn't want, you know, like the love theme to be too over the top. He just wanted right. almost like, so I, I think the, the, the threat that goes through the score is kind of an exploration or, or an attempt to just be sort of rootsy and just be like yeah. you know honest and just like sitting at the piano and like playing a tune you know right. and, <laughs> rather than putting on your composer cap and like start writing some string lines you know yeah, yeah. I mean I think that and I, I think what makes the film unique in a way is that there's a lot of moments that are just kind of I don't want to get too over dramatic but real yeah. You know, and it's like in the music organic kind of organic Yeah. Yeah, emotions. exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's unusual in a film like this. Yeah. Nowadays, I think it was more sort of typical maybe in the 90s or something like yeah. that, you know, for some of those sort of buddy action movies 
Yeah, of that time. The weapon had a lot of real moments. I remember it being a funny yeah. action movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a suicide scene. He almost kills himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't see that these days. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't. Not really. So, so I, I think what makes that work, makes that film really work, is that sort of juxtaposition. You know, right? It's ridiculously over the top right. and funny at times, and then there are other moments. I mean, the, it's really a love story. Uh huh. You yeah. know, it's really about you know Ryan Reynolds' character trying to get together with his old girlfriend yeah and you know sam jackson and salma hayek getting together right. again you know and it is like i mean you know that's <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the real story there you yeah, know for sure you know that's what you focused on yeah it's, it's such a fun scoring and you got what, two weekends in a row number one so congrats yeah, yeah thanks yeah, yeah, yeah for sure no it's great it's great um, so yeah people are loving it i'm you know, a lot of work great word of mouth yeah um, you know i mean it's just one of those films that is like it's it's funny. It's yeah. hilarious, yeah. and it's not meant to be looked at as great art because yeah. it isn't. It's yeah. it's there for people to have fun. Right. Exactly. And I think I think it does the job. <laughs> sure. And I think right now in this political climate, that's what we people need. need yeah. You know, because there's it. a lot of you know, it's very tense around here. So you know, <laughs> a little bit of laughing is good right yeah, now. Yeah, but you're gonna you're gonna skedaddle in a few days. <laughs> yeah, I, I go back and forth. You know. Yeah, I want to talk about that because you do you split your time between here and Iceland right now. Yeah, right? yeah. Were you because were you fully located here in LA a while ago and then you decided to move back to Iceland was that the decision yeah that was sort of the yeah I mean I lived here for 18 years right you know and um, and uh, so is your family and you're, you're based on out of, they're living out of Iceland and you come here to work is that kind of the yeah that's yeah, sort yeah. of the that, that's sort of the deal right now no I mean you know it was really my wife and I wanted our kids to know our family yeah you know I mean it wasn't really much more complicated than that yeah uh, and you know we we used to go there every summer you know for a few weeks just right. to kind of try to maintain some sort of a relationship connection. and stuff like that and connection and uh, and then Actually, the year uh, Rams won the Uncertain Regard Prize at Cannes, you know, we went, took the kids out of school early, went to Iceland, and mm. and my wife, who's from America, from Virginia, actually, oh, wow. uh, she just started falling in love with Iceland, you <laughs> yeah. know, and, and so uh, we go, so yeah, it's June, I had to come back here for work to write the score for Bilal. Uh-huh. Or work on that. Yeah. And, and when I come back at the end of June, early July, she's like, you know what? I'm not going back. Wow. And I'm just like, are you sure? <laughs> you know, yeah. might want to think about this, you know. Yeah. You haven't been through a winter here. <laughs> it's known as Iceland. <laughs> yeah, it, it's there's the a reason they call it Iceland, you know. And, I mean, I was concerned about, like, my career and everything. And, yeah. And, but, you know, the funny thing is, it's actually my career has really gotten better if anything and i think a part of it is i needed to go home to connect with my roots and write music for tiny little european films yeah for sure where i could just write something honest you know yeah because at the end of the day even though you know there's a lot of chefs in the kitchen sometimes and it's, it's, it's like big productions what what people want from a composer is feeling is like yeah. it's emotion it's like it's yeah. that's what we bring to the table you know so being able to go and do like a collat or do you know um, pound for pound this danish movie i just did right which you know um y- y- you just get to write different yeah. kinds of music and i i mean i hope i'll i'll get to sort of 
split my time between here and there you know as long as I can write music yeah. because because I love doing both and each world you know sort of informs the other you know yeah, for sure. and I think it's a really good good thing you yeah know? Well, I'm glad you found that balance I think it, it's amazing and yeah for your family and for your career and I think that's incredible to find that very lucky and and I just want to thank you Atlee for, uh, for your time here tonight and, and just sitting down and and uh it's been such a great pleasure to chat. Yeah, man. So much fun. <laughs> and uh, best of luck, and I and, uh, hope we do it again sometime. Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> Thanks, man.